Welcome to the True Talk Cafe podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited that you're here. Our podcast will tackle a myriad of topics ranging from relationships to personal development and everything in between. Today's show is called The Right to Read. We'll be discussing the rise in literary censorship and the impact that it's having on our youth. But before we dive in, let me introduce you to the pod crew. My name is Renee Stewart, and I'm joined by my co-host, Anna Garcia. Hi, Anna. Hi. Carla Decor. Hi, Carla. Lolly Ramirez-Bennett. Hi there. Hi, Lolly. Hello, everybody. Collectively, we span four generations. Can you believe that? We've all experienced ups and downs in our personal lives and professional careers that have qualified us to share our unique perspectives with you, and we're so excited to do so. Before we get into today's content, I wanted to let you know where you can find us on social media. On Instagram and Facebook, you can use at True Talk Cafe, and on Twitter, you can use True Talk Cafe 1. Don't forget to like us, rate us, and leave a review. We value your feedback. We want to ensure that we are providing content that resonates with you. So please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts. So excited about today's show. You will stay tuned to hear about our, what our guest is going to share as an advocate of the intellectual freedom space. Also stick around to find, find out how you can join us on a live show. So now let's get started. Hey guys, today's conversation is one where we will not all agree on, but important to understand. For many years, American schools have been pressured to restrict or deny student access to text deemed objectionable content by some individual or group resulting in book banning. Book banning is a form of censorship in the most widespread censorship form in the United States. These pressures have mounted in recent years, and English teachers have no reason to believe they will diminish. The fight against censorship is continuing series of skirmishes, not a battle, leading to a final victory over censorship. We can safely make two statements. First, suppression of ideas and information can occur at any stage or level of publication, distribution, or institutional control making it potentially open for attack by an individual, group, organization at any time for any reason. Second, censorship is often arbitrary and irrational. Although it is a violation of the First Amendment right to freedom of speech, there are limitations making it constitutionally permissible based on community standards to which they apply. Most challenges and bans prior to the 1970s, including those on traditional texts, used in English classrooms were on the basis of obscenity and expli explicit sexuality. Others for containing heretical or subversive elements such as the following. For Jules Verne's Around the World in 80 Days, very unfavorable to Mormons. Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter was considered simply a filthy book. Herman Melville's Moby Dick contains homosexuality. Modern works, even more than classics, are criticized with terms such as filthy, un-American, over-realistic, and anti-war. As we continue our conversation, think about why there, was, there has been a groundswell of opposition to the right to read for our young people and what's been driving force. Now let's start today's conversation. 
All right. And to add to this wonderful conversation that we will have today, we have invited an expert who is well-versed in this space and who will share her expertise with us. Her name is Shirley Robinson. So Shirley Robinson is the executive director of the 6,000-member Texas Library Association, a position that she's held since, since January of 2020. Prior to coming to TLA, she was president and CEO of Texas Healthcare Trustees, a statewide trade association serving more than 4,000 hospital board members. She spent eight years in progressive leadership roles at THT in the Texas Hospital Association, serving as Senior Director, Education and Programs at THT, and as Vice President of Education and Governance Programs at THA. Robinson also held business development and fundraising membership, education, and marketing positions at nonprofits, including the Texas Society for Association Executives, Muscular Dystrophy Association, and Autism Museum of Art. She received a bachelor's degree in business administration from Trinity University, and she is a certified association executive. Welcome, Shirley. We're so glad to have you join us and shed some light on this sort of controversial topic, right? Great to be here with you. Wonderful. Shirley, some books have been attacked merely for being controversial, suggesting that for some people, the purpose of education is not the investigation of ideas, but rather the indoctrination of a certain set of beliefs or standards. Do you agree with that statement? Why or why not? Yeah, that's a great question to start us off, Wally. So, I mean, I think probably the, the first thing that we really need to look at is the difference between education and educational content and just the freedom to explore ideas. And that really is the separation between classroom and libraries. And what we're seeing is evolving across not only public schools, but also academic libraries and public libraries as well. Um, so, you know, when you look at education content and curriculum, it's really designed with a very, within a very specific framework to achieve certain goals. The ability to go into a library and select books that speak to you, that reflect your experience, to help you expand on an idea that you're grappling with. That's a fundamental human right. And that's the beauty and the purpose of libraries and the Library Bill of Rights and intellectual freedom that we're hearing about so much. So the other thing that your question makes me think about is also the definition of controversial. And something that is controversial to one person is not going to be controversial to another person. Topics that reflect someone's lived experience are going to be really important to others. And so that's why it's really important that we be very careful in casting a broad categorization over books and calling them controversial because that's not always the experience of everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let's, you know, follow up with that because you had said you have to be careful of using kind of like a broad scope with everyone. So that kind of leads us into our second question. Literature about minority and ethnic or racial groups remains controversial or objectionable to many adults. As long as groups such as African Americans, Pacific Islanders, American Indians, Asian Americans, and Latinxes, quote unquote, kept their proper place which was awarded them by white society. Censors rarely raised their voices, but attacks have increased in frequency as minority groups have refused to observe their assigned quote-unquote place. So Shirley, why do you think minority literary content is perceived in this way 
And secondly, how has your organization dealt with this specific area of opposition? Yes. Yeah. You know, this has been one of the most troubling aspects of this recent rise in censorship over content to us. Last year, you all might remember, we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the release of the Matt Krause list here in Texas. And on that list were about 850 books that dealt with topics of race and racism and anti-racism study, gender and gender identity. And there were groups that looked at that list of books and over 70% of the books on that list were about primarily those topics. You know, what we have seen anecdotally over the last year is really what we're seeing play out across the country, which is a lack of comfort in talking about those topics and really acknowledging what we still need to work on. And, you know, throughout history, we've seen instance after instance after instance of societies who are backing away from addressing topics that they're uncomfortable with or just, you know, facing what their own history and experience has been. And when they do that, those things come back. We're not learning from those experiences. And so that's what has been really concerning to us in the recent legislation that was passed in the legislative session that just passed here in Texas to remove discussion of race, racism, and the history of slavery in the United States. And we see social studies teachers and English teachers really struggling with this right now. So one of the things that TLA has done, in addition to supporting our members who are librarians across the state with a number of resources, is to make sure that our recent strategic plan reflects a foundational value of equity, diversity, and inclusion, and making sure that everything that we do is through a lens of EDI and making sure that our members have the tools and resources to be able to effectively develop collections in their libraries to serve their entire communities, knowing that they have very diverse communities, regardless of what city or state, rural or urban area you are in the state of Texas. So those are some of the things that we're doing, but it's an uphill battle and we know that it's going to take creating awareness across the entire country because this is going on everywhere. Thank you, Shirley. A lot of great insight there. And that brings us to our next question, right? Not as sensational, but perhaps more important. There are some long range effects of censoring the rights for educators and students to self-select what they read and engage with, right? Schools have removed text from libraries and classrooms and curricula has changed. So in essence, when books are banned, someone else is trying to dictate what is the best for everyone based on his or her own personal beliefs and feelings. Over the course of their schooling, many students are consequently educated in a system that is hostile to critical inquiry and thinking, as well as dialogue. And many teachers and other school staff learn to emphasize their own sense of comfort and safety rather than their students' needs. In the opinion of many, books being banned are also books that help readers understand certain topics to a significant extent. When this happens, students experience a narrowing of their worldview and teachers are tasked with an ever-changing curriculum and per even fear of personal choice. Does a strategy of playing it safe with literacy content put our young people in a position of social disadvantage, you think? Yes, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you shared that perspective. You know, what, what we are seeing in libraries is absolutely the self-censorship that you are addressing 
there. We're seeing librarians pull books off of shelves or not order books because they are afraid not only for their jobs, but for their place within a community. We know that this is going to harm individuals, children, members of the public who rely on their library for access to content, resources, self-affirmation, finding people who understand them. So, I mean, we are definitely going to face the problem of children losing the ability to have empathy, to respect the ability for people to speak up and share their own voice for fear of intimidation or threat. It's a really scary time in our history. And I'm so glad that folks like you all are talking about this because we are really at the gates of something very, very concerning right now. And it's happening in our libraries, in our schools. And, you know, there are many educators that we've talked with who are not sure how to teach history. They're not sure how to teach their children. I talk to my own children and I'll say, what did you learn in school today? Did you all talk about certain things in history? And they're in high school and they'll say, no, the teachers say they can't talk about that. And so we talk about it at home, but not everybody talks about things at home. Yeah. Thank you. That's so sad. Thanks. And I don't have a question, but I just have some statistics to share by PEN America. So this year's Bad Book Week is from September 18th to the 24th. It took place during an unprecedented time of book bans and challenges in the, you know, in the United States and in the schools. So the subject matter for most of the books that were banned, it was that four out of 10 books that were banned had LGBTQ characters or themes. Four out of ten also had characters of color. So between July 2021 and June of 2023, more than 2,500 book, book banks were enacted in 138 districts and 32 states, resulting in the removal of more than 1,600 titles from school libraries and classrooms that serve roughly 4 million students, according to a report by Penn America. And that's likely an under- underestimate. As Pan America compiled only the bands that were reported to them and that were covered in the media. So take a guess on what was the state with the most bands. It was Texas with 801 bands. So that is bad. Anything you want to add to that, Shirley? Gosh, it's staggering to hear those statistics every single time. And I've heard them dozens of times. I think that... I've been traveling around the state a lot recently and talking to librarians in really small and rural communities and large communities. And there's always the assumption that this is not going to happen in my community. In fact, they say that. And they were saying that six months ago. And we had a situation in a community today where there was a police detective that was sent into a library to pull books off the shelf and review them and determine if they were appropriate to be able to stay in that library or not. This community would never have imagined that scenario nine months ago, that this is the reality of where we're living now. Wow. Thank you for sharing that with us. You know, it's heartbreaking. You know, as a mother of of three now adult children, I am so fortunate that they have gone past the, the high school stages and are into college and have a little bit more freedom on what they can select. But some of the books that I saw on that list, my students read, my kids read when they were when they were young. And 
if anything, I think it educated them and helped them and helped them understand others. And so this is very saddening to me. I almost want to say, can't we just put like PG-13 labels instead of just taking them off the shelf? You know, like that just sounds too easy, though. So we know that's not going to work. <laughs> but it's just heartbreaking to think that some of those very books that I read growing up, some kids might not ever get to read if this continues. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's it's really crazy. And, you know, we, we know what is at the core of this. This is being motivated by agendas. We're very close to an election. We don't know what it's going to mean for this initiative and, and these challenges after the elections. But my goodness, I have to put in a plug for everyone to vote. If issues like this are important to you, please vote. Yes, please go on and vote. Absolutely. I mean, I would agree with that. You know, I mean, I understand like right now, you know, there's a political agenda, you know, underlying this or driving this and all these different groups. But the ban just didn't start, you know, in 21. You still had groups out there, you know, years ago. So how did we combat that, say, like maybe 40 years ago, 30 years ago? You know, we're in school. <laughs> you know, we read all of these books. I'm sure there was opposition somewhere, but how did we combat that? Or, you know, can you speak to that? No, it's a, it's a great question, Renee. And I remember, because I'm of a certain age, and I remember having conversations with my parents about, you know, a letter that might have come home from school about we're going to read X, Y, and Z book. And I was always thankful that my parents never restricted that. And they said, of course, you can read whatever you want. I, I don't know. I've been wanting to look back into history and see what it was that we did during those times, because it certainly didn't feel anywhere near as big and scary as it is now. I mean, we, you know, we can look back at the McCarthy era and that was a terrifying time. And I feel like we are very close to being in that type of dynamic now. But I think with social media with the polarization of just communities now, it does feel bigger and worse. And I think that that's why it's really, really important for people to understand what's happening and not just sit on the sidelines and say, oh, that's not going to be my community. That's not going to be my family. My family doesn't have any challenges and I'm going to teach my children empathy and that's all fine and well and good, but it's not. You know, we need more folks in an ally role to step up and say, this is not right. We need to be able to have freedom of choice. Well, surely I think it's without question, understanding what's happening and understanding the agendas around really helps folks understand the importance for them to decide what's right for their own families, right? And I guess my question to you is, as a, as a, if I was, I don't have children, but as a parent, if if something is banned in the libraries, the, the parents could still go out and purchase that and help the child learn from that, right? The only problem is, unfortunately, they don't have the discussions around what what happens in the classroom. I just needed to make sure I was I had the right reference there. So this has been a really good topic for us because you really, again, it's it's about becoming aware of what's happening within your own community. I tend to be very Texas proud, and I got to tell you right now, I'm not very proud. That's a very sad number 
to to know that we're we're leading the pack in restricting our children, our future leaders from the opportunity to learn, to understand what's out there and and just have an open mind about what's out there. I think that when you allow a child to understand what what's there and then make their own decision for themselves or or with the help of you as a, as a parent, that is so much better than to say, oh, no, let's not talk about this. So we can't just put our head in the sand and think it's going to go away. Because the reality is that they don't need to go into the library to see these things occurring in life. And the books help them better understand, and the classroom helps them better understand the circumstances. So something new for me, I didn't realize that there is actually a banned books week, which is observed annually, right? During the last week of September since 1982. So that's 40 years. I'm sorry, but I just didn't, I wasn't aware. I mean, I have heard about the censorship and everything else, but that was just caught me off guard. This, this is set to remind Americans not to take for granted their precious freedom to read. The ACLU and the American Library Association urged Americans to elect to read a banned book in honor of this year's Banned Books Week. And again, many of those books, if you're, a, you know, probably if you're 30, 40, 50, 60, you probably read some of them already. So it might be time to reread it and make sure you probably read them when you were in school with yourself, you know. Is it really something that is, I mean, yeah, I know I've, I've, I've seen some of the, the, the books on the list. And I'm thinking, what was in there? You know, I, I don't get it. But um, anyway, so with that, there's also some, some key things that happen with that Banned Books Week. The intent of the week is really to celebrate the freedom to read and to highlight the value of access to information, even if it's unpopular or, un, or unorthodox. I think that, you know, when we think about today's world where everything is available at the touch of a click, right? You have to remember that, yes, they might ban that again, but you can still go in and pick up. In most cases, you don't even have to pay to, to be able to read a book and, and maybe have open discussions with others if you don't get a chance to talk about it in classroom. These days, it's not about so much about the quantity of the book bans that alarm educators, but that they're instigated by politicians seeking to divide parents and educators. And that's so, so true. I mean, I think back, you know, a couple of years ago when we were going through elections and just how I, I think most of us just got tired of the, the, the whole political divide that was being caused. We just got to the point that it's like, not that, you know, just, just, I don't want to know anymore. The reality is, is without question, we got to go out and vote. We got to make sure our voice is heard. The RAA recommended author, Bill Konigsberg, has five books on a Texas lawmaker's list of targets, and he's not backing down. His books really are about saving the lives of LGBTQ plus kids and being very active in the community and helping mentor a lot of students. This is an area that, that you know, we know needs a lot of help. So how can how can we totally discriminate against a particular category of, of people and just say, well, you you know, you don't matter? What do you think about that, Shirley? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean that that really right now is the most prevalent issue 
that we're facing is that community members feel very empowered to say you can't have LGBTQ content in a library because I don't agree with that and I don't understand that. And librarians are being accused of all sorts of terrible things that are not true at all. And it's causing people to leave the profession. It's causing them to feel unsafe in their homes. I think as a society, back to one of the things that you were talking about a minute ago, Lolly, is that, you know, we've lost the ability to have conversations. We avoid conversations at Thanksgiving dinner. We follow people on social media that we only agree with. We have decided to back away from any uncomfortable discourse um, because we don't have to. But I think for those of us who see what's happening, we're going to have to get in there. We're going to have to get in there and have those conversations and talk about, you know, the fact that someone might be hurting because they identify as LGBTQ. And they are seeing these books being taken off the shelves and their stories are being erased and they are being told you don't matter and you're not okay and you're not right. And if we really reflect on what's important to us as citizens and community members and family members and co-workers and civic leaders and educators, we have to get in there and have those conversations and help ourselves to understand and help other people to understand why it's not right to do that to other people. I agree. And I think I'm with Lolly. I don't I don't think I knew about the books ban week until maybe a, a couple of years ago. And it's been going on since I was born. I was born in nineteen eighty two. And I never heard about it before. So it is it is really sad. And I think I do always encourage my kids to read everything and to understand everything, even if you disagree with them, to make sure that everyone, you know, we, we, we can help others if we can understand better where they're coming from and books provide that. So I try to empower my kids with as many books as I can that provide that diversity for them. So diversity of thought is powerful, right? That's right. Um, so in summary, the problem of censorship does not derive solely from the small anti-intellectual, ultra-moral, or ultra-patriotic groups, which will typically function in a society that guarantees freedom of speech and freedom of the press. The pressing concern is rather they, with the frequency and force, the attacks are happening by others, often from people who will and we assume have the best intentions. And some of those are in the teaching profession, which is what concerns some of us, right? So thank you. Thank you for being here and sharing some of your insights with us, Shirley. Absolutely. It's been a great conversation so far. Yeah. Yes, we really appreciate you being here. I mean, this topic we could go on and on with this topic and who knows you know we depending on what's happening <laughs> we may have a part two <laughs> and you know delve a little bit deeper and i mean just thank you so much for joining us we really appreciate it i know our listeners are going to be sitting on the edge of their seats when they're listening to this podcast <laughs> so we hope right <laughs> i would like to leave everyone with a quote from Justice William O. Douglas from the United States Supreme Court case, Adler versus Board of Education in 1951, which is relevant to today's discussion. It says, where suspicion fills the air and holds scholars in line for fear of their jobs, there can be no exercise of the free intellect. A problem can no longer be pursued with impunity to its edges. 
fear stalks the classroom. The teacher is no longer a stimulant to adventurous thinking. She becomes instead a pipeline for safe and sound information. A deadening dogma takes the place of free inquiry. Instruction tends to become sterile. Pursuit of knowledge is discouraged. Discussion often leaves off where it should begin. So true, so true. So with that said, we hope you learned something new and or came away with a different perspective on this topic. Shirley, can you tell us where our listeners can find you on social media? Absolutely. So we have two different arms of our organization. First, we're the Texas Library Association. So you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We also have established a grassroots advocacy organization, Texans for the Right to Read. And that is an organization that was started for parents and educators and politicians and civic leaders to learn more about the efforts around censorship and how to speak up for libraries and librarians and the freedom to read. So you can find us at TexansForTheRightToRead.com. And we're also on Facebook and Twitter as well. Okay, great. And we will encourage our readers or our listeners to make sure that they connect with you on those platforms. So as promised, here's how to join us as an audience member on our next show episode. We hope you're just as excited as we are. Go to our True Talk Cafe Facebook page and send us a request to attend episode 12 as an audience member. Be sure to use the hashtag TTCEP12. We will respond to your request with a podcast website link where you'll need to enter your preferred email address for us to send the audience link. We'll also send all audience members a reminder the day before the show recording. It's going to be so much fun. So to have you guys join us live. As always, we welcome your feedback. So please let us know your thoughts about today's show. Leave a comment or review. We will respond to all comments. So please be nice. We'd love to hear your thoughts about today's topic. Please do not forget to like and rate the episode. We appreciate you turning into our pod- tuning into our podcast, and we hope you join the TTC Crew Facebook page. Again, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook using at True Talk Cafe and using at True Talk Cafe One on Twitter. Please use the hashtag TTC Talks or True Talk Tuesdays. Recommendations for discussion topics are always welcome. We want to ensure we are providing content that is of value to you. So don't forget to hit the subscribe button. So thanks for listening. And we hope you join us on our next episode. We will delve into the world of multi-level marketing. It's sure to be an engaging conversation, whether you like it, I love it, or don't care. We're going to talk about it. (laughs) So talk soon, everybody. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye.